Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, for those of you who may not know who I am, my name is Brian, and uh, it is so good to be with you this morning. And just to be able to worship together, it's powerful. So thanks, Bradley and team, for that. You know, we are in this series called Intentional Families, as Randy mentioned this morning. And I know that families come in all shapes and sizes, uh, some of which you were born into, some you were placed into, some you simply choose, right, these, these families. And so I, a little fun fact, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus was placed in a family as well, right? And in the Gospels, it's mentioned that he had at least maybe six siblings, maybe more. He had four brothers, uh, James, Joseph, uh, Simon, and Judas were named, and then at least two unnamed sisters. So he was part of this family. And so as we come into this series, my, my encouragement is that whatever family you find yourself in, I hope you are being encouraged. And uh, the reality is just like families are unique and Jesus' family was unique, uh, your family is unique. And I know that many of you are on your own sort of spiritual journey. We all have our spiritual journey. And some of us have yet to kind of figure out this faith thing. And that's okay. But here's the deal. If you have claimed Jesus as Savior and Lord, if he is the one you are seeking to follow, I am convinced that one of the primary places God has placed you, invited you, called you to live out, to model, to, to kind of test this idea of your walk with Jesus, it is in the family where it needs to take place. It's where we practice. And I think God is inviting us and encourages and maybe even challenging us to be active participants in kind of living out that faith walk not passive bystanders, not, not those who just let it happen, but people who are engaged and part of this, active, not passive. And so we want to look at that today. Uh, Giselle and I, Giselle's going to come up and, and help me in just a little bit. She's going to share some things. We're going to be speaking through the lens of parenthood and even grandparenthood. I, I can't even hardly say, you know, believe that I can say that, you know. I, we have four children three of whom are married, and uh, one is still single, and uh, one uh, of our children uh, is married, and they have our first granddaughter, which we celebrated her birthday last weekend, so that was really fun. So that's part of our family, and that's the lens in which we're going to be speaking to you. But I also know this, if you're not married, or if you're, you know, maybe longing to have children, but don't have children, that's okay. One thing that I believe that, um, you know, one of the benefits of our family is that our kids had voices, aunts and uncles, even cousins, who spoke into their life, who kind of helped us create this identity that we are a family of faith. And so if you're in that situation, I'd encourage you to kind of listen with those ears. How can I be an encouragement to my family, even if I'm single or thinking about having children? So I want to start at Luke 2, verse 52, this little verse at the end of chapter 2 in Luke's gospel, and it says this, it just sim simply says this, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men, or men, human beings. And Jesus grew in wisdom, in intellect, in stature physically, and in favor and grace in relationship with God and with other people. Now, I know that this is kind of comes at, at an interesting time. We don't know a lot about Jesus' childhood, but this comes at the end of a section where he is 12 years old, and he's with his parents. They go to Jerusalem, and uh, 
they're in the temple, and he has this amazing experience where he's actually reading from the scrolls, and he's wowing the teachers of the day, and then they have a massive parent fail, Mary and Joseph do, right? They left him behind. Anybody ever do that? Yeah. They left him behind, and they, it took them two days to find him. I mean, that was pretty significant, but it, it says this at the end, and, and it got me to thinking. What would it have been like to be Jesus' parents? I mean, like, no pressure, right? <laughs> I mean, think about it. I mean, the New Testament has some amazing things it says about the person of Jesus. In fact, uh, I want a little preview of we're going to be studying the book of Hebrews. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son through the appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Think about that. So Jesus is fully God and fully man and through whom he made the universe. I mean, what would it have been like to be Jesus' parents? Right? Wow. I mean... It got me wondering, and what, how much did Jesus understand? How much was he aware of his own sort of identity and, and place? And it got me, uh, I, I remember the, the movie Incredibles. Anybody know that movie, right? And it's like this family of superheroes. Remember Dash, the little boy? Yeah, he's really fast. Can you imagine, what if Jesus was like Dash, <laughs> this excitable eight-year-old? And, and Mary and Joseph are reading the creation story. And he's going, yeah, it was awesome. You know, we made the, the land and the sea and the fish and all the things. And, and we threw the stars in the sky. It was just great. You know, just this amazing thing. I can almost imagine that. What awareness did he have? But then you go, okay, well, what role did they actually play? Right? What role did Mary and Joseph actually play? But it says Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor, and in grace. He grew. I believe Mary and Joseph actually had a part to play. And they weren't just passive bystanders. They were active participants in the, the parenting, in the faith development of Jesus, which is crazy to think. They had a role. So what did that role look like? Well, we're going to look at... Uh, Luke 1 and 2 and, and Matthew 1 and 2, a few, few of those verses, because that's really the only place in the Bible that you hear about Jesus' childhood and, uh, and his parents, uh, mainly Joseph. You, you really don't read much outside of those chapters. So let me just give you three character traits that I see in Mary and Joseph, just kind of right up front. One is that they were available and willing participants in God's plan. That's huge, Okay. Number two is this, they trusted God's word to them and they obeyed it quickly, okay? And thirdly, they did what they knew to do and engaged. They did what they knew to do and they engaged. So let's unpack each one of those. The first one is they were will, available and willing participants in God's plan. Now, my favorite gospel in the New Testament is Luke's gospel and the reason is because of Luke's own story. Luke was a, a second-generation Christian. He came to faith through probably the teaching of Paul in Antioch. And he goes on trips with Paul. And he's a, he's a smart guy. He's a doctor, we, we learn. He's a physician. But then he collects all of these stories. And at the beginning of his gospel, he says this, 
I, I'm collecting all these things, and he's writing for a friend. And in, in, in effect, he's saying, look, I'm going to collect all these stories. There's many things that have been said. What I want you to know is I want you to, to read them and kind of make up your own mind about Jesus. And so it's really interesting to me that in, in the first couple of chapters, the first thing he does is he tells two stories of miraculous births. One is John the Baptist, and the other is Jesus. Okay? You following me? So we have this sort of laid out. Now the first one is about John the Baptist, and Zechariah and Elizabeth are his parents. And we learn that Zechariah is a priest. So in other words, he's religiously educated. He probably had some means. In fact, his wife was in the priestly line. I mean, they were really qualified parents to be parents of the Messiah. Okay? And then you kind of get into the next story, and you meet Mary. And guess what? She's unmarried. She's pledged to be married. She has no sort of religious training or background. She's a young woman. She's a teenager. And the angel says to her, look, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and you're going to be pregnant with this child. I mean, all these things. And then she's pledged to be married who, to a guy who is not religiously educated, but, you know, maybe a tradesman. So not highly qualified, right? And yet, God works through that. And I think to myself, okay, I have felt very underqualified in parenting. But let me say this. It is not about pedigree or education or other qualifications. It has everything to do with availability and willingness. So what does Mary do in the midst of this? When this angel comes to speak, this is what she says. In verse 38 of chapter 1, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And then it goes on to say some more words. In chapter 2, she's like singing this song, and it says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of my ser this, his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. His holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. To be used of God has nothing to do with pedigree or education or any, anything like that. It's simply saying, okay, I'm available. I'm ready to be used of you, God. God often uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. To be active is to be showing up, to be present, to be willing, to be available. Just say yes. That's really what Mary and Joseph did. Okay, so second thing. They trusted God's word to them and obeyed it quickly. They trusted God's word to them and obeyed it quickly. So we read, again, I'll read that verse again in, in chapter 1, verse 38, where Mary said, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. May your word to me. So this angel spoke the word of God to her. She said, okay, I'm going to trust it. I'm going to believe it. So what about Joseph? Well, we learn a lot more about Joseph in Matthew's gospel. 
And at the very beginning of that gospel, we read that he's in David's line, but he heard about Mary's pregnancy. And this is what it says. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So it's interesting to me. He was going to do the right thing, you know, just kind of leave the relationship, let her be. But then God spoke to him. So what did he do? Well, later in that chapter, it says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as wife. He did what the angel of the Lord had said. He trusted what God was saying to him in a dream through this messenger, and he did what he knew to do. He engaged. He was actively involved, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, this isn't just one-time experience. If you continue to read in Matthew chapter 1 and 2, there's actually four different times, four times, where Joseph has this same experience. One is at the end of, like, the Magi, the wise men come to visit them. And an angel comes to him again, and he says, hey, it's not safe for you. You need to go to Egypt. And so he responded, and they went to Egypt. And then an angel of the Lord came again and said, hey, it's okay, go, go back to Judea. You can go live there now. It's safe for Jesus and your family. So he did, and he did that. And then he had another dream where God spoke. And he said, hey, you need to get out of Judea. Go to Nazareth. And so he did. Every time. To be active is not only showing up to be present, but to be active is also to engage and to trust and to respond to what God says to us. To listen and respond. Okay, third thing. They did what they knew to do, and they did it. They engaged, right? So back to Luke 2. Kind of the story is, you know, we read about, we read about the birth. The, the shepherds come, and at the end of that, you know, Jesus is just a little baby, and, and Mary and Joseph decide this. They're going to take Jesus up to the temple. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping what is, with what is said in the law of the Lord. So, you hear that? They did everything required by the law of the Lord. They returned. They did things by the law of the Lord. So this is kind of the first indication you realize that Mary and Joseph are good Jews. Right? They're, they're doing what they know to do because they've been kind of identified with that and they've heard this before. And so they take Jesus to the temple to be circumcised so that he would become part of the family of God. They just did that because that's what they knew to do. And so they do that. Again, and then it says later in that same chapter, when Joseph and Mary had gone, done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. 
And then it kind of gets into this story of Passover when he's 12. And it says, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And so they, again, they engaged in the Jewish holidays and they said, we're going we're to do this. We're going to engage in what we know. Why? Because they're being good Jews. My guess is as good Jewish religious people, they also recited the Shema, which comes from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this is what it says. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And he says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Do what you know. Create rhythms. Create patterns. Normalize the idea that you are a family of faith. That's what good Jewish people did. And Mary and Joseph, we see them doing what they knew to do. They weren't passive, they were active. They were engaged. Dads, let me just speak to you just for a moment. I'm a dad, and I have to say that probably um, if there's a regret that I have as a dad and a father, I mean, I have tons of failure, okay? And um, I just about destroyed our family because of choices that I made. So that's where I'm coming from, okay? But there is something that I want you to hear. I think if there's a regret that I had as I was, especially when our kids were young, is that I think I allowed too much of the burden of the spiritual sort of direction and leadership of our home to be on my wife, Giselle. And, you know, sort of emotionally and, and physically, sometimes I was disengaged because, you know, I was leading in the church. I had other things to do, right? And can I just say to you dads, it's okay, yeah, God forgives when we fail, but let me tell you, can I encourage you to help initiate? Can I encourage you to, to be a part of that with your spouse and say, hey, we are a family of faith. We are going to do some of these things. You don't necessarily know all the things to do, right? But do what you do know. And when you do that, it has a massive, massive impact. I just want to say that. I want to encourage you. We're all, we all fail, okay? But it's okay. Just kind of get up, try again. Let me say this. I know, dads, you want what's best for your, uh, your kids. I know, parents, that's true for all of you. You want what's best for your kids. I see you doing so many things in so many ways. You're investing in, in your children, in their academics, in their athletics, in their passions and hobbies. You spend an enormous amount of time and money and energy doing all of that. And that's not a bad thing. It says something about your love for your children right, and your desire for them. But are you also investing in those things that have an internal impact? Are you willing and available? 
Are you responding to what God is saying and kind of listening for what he's saying? Are you then engaged in what you know to do? Just those things. So, okay, I've preached enough. We're going to invite my wife up, okay? She's going to come, and she's going to share with us. And, uh, you know, welcome Giselle, would you, just for a moment. She's not up here very often, but... Morning. You know, uh, she's been an incredible partner, an incredible leader in our home. And uh, talk about intentional. She is probably one of the most intentional people I know. And... Um, you know, so thanks for all that and for uh, doing that for us. I just want to ask you a few questions. And, and you know, here we are, we have this audience. Um, to parents out there, what, what would be some things you'd want to say or, you know, some key things? I think um, when I look back on being the mom of some young children and then raising them, I think that one of the keys was just really being intentional about being a growing disciple of Jesus myself mm -hmm. and continuing to learn. And so, um, you know, engaging in spiritual practices myself and praying for our family, but also reading everything that I could get my hands on or listening to things or um, noticing people that I liked the way that they treated their children and then asking them questions or hanging out with them. So just being a, a real learner, an intentional learner myself. And um, maybe another thing is just to be really intentional about being present um, in whatever season it is. So present for conversation. And when I mean conversations, I don't mean like talking at them, but talking with them. And having enough margin created in your family life that there actually are moments where you can talk and listen to each other. Yeah, in fact, I had, you know, it's kind of a funny story when, when our kids were getting older. You should tell that story. Oh, yeah. Know. Okay, so... <laughs> So when I say being intentional about things, like things that are normal rhythm of your life, like mealtime or drive time or bedtime, being planned ahead a little bit about how can I be present in this moment to be ready to have a conversation with my children. And again, not so much always what you say, but maybe listening to them. But I think what Brian's referring to is our oldest two are at college and our younger two are at home. And our third two oldest was getting ready to go to college she was going to be going the next year so we're at home with the two youngest and I had thought about a question that day that I wanted to ask at supper and just hear what they would say so I asked them this question I don't remember what the question was it probably was trying to like get to some deeper things and silence like deadpan you know it's a good question and they're just didn't say anything so then I said well so Cameron I called on the youngest well Cameron what are you thinking right now he goes like what am I thinking right now I said, yeah, what are you thinking right now? I'm thinking, it is going to be rough when I'm the only one left home to answer your questions. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, then it was a good question, and guess what? I just had to let it go for a different yeah. time or yeah. just be available a different time when it was going to work. So, yeah. yeah. That's, that's good. I think um, present in all those, taking advantage of some of those times when we do have, right, and... Uh, yeah, whether it's mealtime or bedtime or on the drive or whatever yeah. it is and, and kind of talking. So, um, you know, I actually texted our kids. It was like a dangerous thing for me. <laughs> I said, Our kids don't always reply to us. Okay, so yeah. here we are, you know, trying to tell you some good things. Yeah, so just I, know. I said, I I said hey, what did, what did we do that, like, you actually remember, you know, or like were good things for you, encouragement in kind of your faith journey? And um, I, I was really curious if they would respond. And thankfully they did. Yes. Which is like, yeah, victory. We got to claim those parents anyway. Yeah. 
And so a couple things that they, they shared were devotional time at meals, mm-hmm. right? But that was really big. I mean, even Brennan said something that I thought was interesting. You want to share that about resources oh, and stuff? Yeah, we had this tradition at Christmas. We would give, we would give uh, gifts that represented gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And one of the gifts to, was to help them in their own personal worship, like frankincense. So he did mention just the books that we gave over time, mm-hmm. the resources that were for his own reading and his own growth. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The other thing is uh, he, they mentioned uh, some experiences that we had. We, we went to family camp uh, several years, so all of us together, and it was just great. And so, you know, I just want to say invest in experiences like that for your kids, you know, like ski and shop and caravan and uh, weekends away or, you know, times you can go to camp together or serve together on a mission trip. Those are huge things. I mean, they really kind of help you as a family say, you know, this is who we are. This is what we're about. And so I just want to say that. And then Lydia mentioned some hospitality because we would, you want to speak about that just a little bit? I thought that was interesting. Our oldest daughter just said, I really remember times when you had other people over. And I think just again, normalizing this idea that we are people of faith, that our identity is in Jesus. And so whether we're with together with a family or whether there's other people over at our home and we're eating together, it's just faith is just a normal part of being in the Stainhook house or Stainhook yeah. household. Yeah. yeah, which is really good. So um, I want to leave you with a couple of things. Um, the first is encouragement that just to remember, we are recipients of grace. Uh, we fail. We have failed. <laughs> and uh, I, you, have a, you, you say something, I think that's a really great reminder about that. I think I, uh, I came upon this phrase when I was a very young parent, and it said, there's nothing like being a parent that makes you realize your need for a savior. You know, like you want something so good, so badly for your children, and then sometimes you respond very poorly. And so we just know it's Jesus, Jesus will make up the difference, you know, and maybe that's the greatest gift after all, this laboratory of love and forgiveness of pursuing Christ, and we do it together. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the last thing. Um, I've had to come to believe that God actually loves my kids better than I love and more than I love. And so can I trust him with the outcomes? Especially with my adult kids. It's like, mm-hmm. man. Yeah, I'm, I know how intense it is as young parents, but suddenly they grow up and then their problems become adult problems too. It's like, and, and I've had to learn to say, okay, God, okay, I trust you. I believe you've got a, a good work for them. And so that's just our encouragement uh, for you. So thanks for listening to us. I'd like for us to pray together. Let's pray. God, we want to recognize your presence in our lives. Um, You are present. Sometimes uh, we recognize that and sometimes we don't. And so thank you that you are present in all of the the families and represented homes here uh, this morning. May we continue to live with expectation that you will make yourself known and uh, we can live in relationship with you and uh, seek to to serve you um, in the context of our families. Lord, forgive us when we fail you in that. And help us just to trust that you you will help us get up and uh, we can start again. I pray that in Jesus' name.